Hi, everybody. It's Michelangelo Caruso. I'm on with a very special guest today. This is Renee Pothetis, everybody. Hi, Renee. Hi, Michael. Glad to be here. I want to um, uh, talk with you about a very, very important topic called self-care, especially with regard to nutrition. Before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor, everybody. The sponsor is me today. Uh, if you uh, like these types of videos, if you're into self-help, self-improvement, if you don't like being talked down to by, by uh, the experts in the field, uh, be sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's simple, michaelangelocaruso.com. If you care to comment or like any of the videos, much appreciated. Also, I have a Facebook group called Present Like a Pro. It's free. And if you get into that group, you can uh, fly with the eagles and, and learn a lot about presentations. And of course, everything is a presentation. This uh, fine day, we are going to be presented to by Renee Pothita. She has a, a brand that is kicking butt and taking names. It's called Eat, Evolve, and Inspire. How did this come about, Renee? Well, my background in culinary arts and nutrition is something that um, I've been involved with at one level or another for over 30 years, and it's really where my passion lies, figuring out how to utilize food, nourish the body, keep myself as healthy as possible, excelling at different sporting endeavors that I enjoy, and um, also improving my longevity. So I decided to finally, finally go mainstream with it. So these things that you mentioned, although they were very personal to you, these goals, it turns out that there's a lot of people on the planet Earth that, that share similar goals. A lot of people struggling with food, a lot of people want to feel better. Um, I find it interesting that we, we're in the best educated society of all time, and we still struggle with basic human issues like, yeah. like uh, what to eat and how much to move. And, you know, everybody's wearing the, the Fitbit and we've got all kinds of nutrition labels. And it's, a, it's like we're more confused than ever. Is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Why there, is that? Well, there's no lack of information. Yeah. Uh, and if it was as simple as giving people the information they need, like I can give you a shopping list and I can say, eat these things three times a day and it'll all work out. But it's just not honestly that simple. No. It requires a more in-depth look at your lifestyle, your stressors, um, your genetics play a component, how active you actually are, the types of foods that you like and don't like, um, and then how to incorporate all those sorts of things in a way that nourish your body from the inside out and create something that's also sustainable. So it doesn't mean that you have to eat a certain rigid way every single day, but how do you eat in a way that's a lifestyle that allows for things like going out with friends, birthday parties, having a donut and an ice cream without blowing everything out of the water. And there just doesn't seem to be enough balance around that. And mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the sayings that people think uh, or is very common is they'll say, oh, just everything in moderation. But what does that mean? Because for somebody who's used to going to a fast food restaurant and eating hamburgers and french fries three times a day, what is moderation for that person? Once a day. <laughs> and people tend to do better with black and white rules. If you say, eat this way, eat this way, eat this way. 
but then that also sets up in their mind that this is all I have to do. Nutrition and health is fluid and it requires constant tweaking. You said something very interesting at the beginning of that passage. You mentioned that you could tell people exactly what to do and all things being equal, it would probably work, but there's a, there's a level of customization that is required in this type of coaching where, uh, because, the, because not only are you dealing with food, but you're also dealing with movement and you're also dealing with the types of food, the quantity of food, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Again, back to the Fitbit, everybody's, you know, uh, trying to pay homage to the 10,000 steps, but all 10,000 steps are not created equal. Nope. The 10,000 steps that you make uh, walking in a brisk pace from the parking lot to your car are not the same quality of steps that you make from the couch to the fridge. And yet if you're somebody who's used to being on the couch, those 10,000 steps may actually have more impact than if you're somebody who is used to say running a mile a day, for for example, right? Because it's different. So if you go from nothing to something, it may actually have more impact on you for a while. You know, you and I have a lot in common in more ways than one. And one of the reasons I, I was really looking forward to this session is because uh, I teach presentation skills, which are deeply rooted in habit. Mm-hmm. Often the reptile part of the brain, you know, the brain stem, because it's something that happened to a person uh, in, the, in, the, in the second grade play, they're still having those feelings 20 and 30 years on when they're presenting to the boss at work. Mm-hmm. And and it, would, it seems to me that you deal with the same thing when you're talking to people. It's the food that they grew up with that they came to identify as, and I love the phrase, comfort food, mm-hmm. as, if comfort, as if comfort food's really good for you. I mean, comfort food at its base level is just food that you like to eat, which doesn't necessarily mean true. it's good for you, right? That's very true. Nobody ever said comfort food was nutritious. Or, or maybe it is. I mean, one of my favorite snacks is uh, Brussels sprouts roasted in coconut oil. The challenge is I can eat the whole pan all by myself. So you can do anything to extremes. Our relationships with food are are very complex because it's not just that it's about comfort. It's about um, you skinned your knee and grandma or mom or dad gave you a cookie right? You go to the dentist for the first time and they work on your teeth when you're a little kid and it's a scary thing. And they give you a lollipop right Mm -hmm. on the way out. We have holidays and birthdays and anniversaries and special nights out. And all these things are around food Mm -hmm. because food is a part of our culture. It's also a really good way for us to share our culture. I think I've mentioned this to you before. My dentist now has snacks and I'm not talking about healthy (laughs) snacks. I'm talking about Cheetos. I'm talking about the hardest thing there is to clean from teeth. You know, essentially, you're at the dentist to get your teeth cleaned, and he's serving you Cheetos before the appointment. This blows my mind. I asked the dentist about it, and, uh, and he said it's, it's just that what all the dentists are doing now. And kids like Cheetos, so we're going to clean the teeth anyway. He kind of shrugged, like almost like he was used to it. Huh. But, but, but he's not even addressing my favorite part of the equation, which is Cheetos aren't good for you. And here's a dentist, a healthcare professional, sanctioning the junk food in his lobby. I mean, it's stunning how many times we betray ourselves 
as a society. Uh, it's stunning how many times the AMA, the American Medical Association, betrays us. Hmm. Right? That's Tell a us much about. Discussion. <laughs> yeah, I know that this is a pet project of yours, um, uh, looking into this and talking about how we came to appreciate sugar as much as we do, uh, thanks to big sugar back when in the 50s? Uh, it probably goes back even a little bit further than, than that, but it, it's, it's the way things work in our body and in our chemistry. So sugar is not the devil. I mean, uh, one of the things that I focus very heavily on with my clients is we don't demonize any type of food. Mm. There's not good, there's not bad. It's all about making choices that support the goals you have now and long-term. So how do we make choices that support how I want to feel, how I need to perform? Do I need to have a very, very strong uh, brain day because I've got a lot of calculations to get through? Yeah. So the goal is eating things that nourish the body, that support the things that you want to do. By and large, that doesn't come from, at this time in food evolution, processed foods. The majority of processed foods, Cheetos is a really good example, it's just that it's chemicals and the body doesn't know how to break it down. I would rather have regular sugar, plain old regular sugar, than some sort of a substitute, right? Maybe stevia is okay, but if, if, I'm, if I'm someplace and I really want sugar on something, um, I'm going to take the sugar, the white sugar or the brown sugar, the Demerara, before I'm going to take anything else that's in a pink, a yellow, or a blue packet. Because yeah. at least my body knows how to break this down. It's still going to have a reaction. Versus, in, say, artificial sugar? Versus artificial sugar. Because okay. at least my body knows how to break it down. Okay, so we're going to do a dive on this, everybody. Get your pencils out. So you mentioned process. You mentioned white sugar, which mm -hmm. I think by definition is usually processed, correct? Generally. Yeah. So... Uh, let's be clear that most people actually don't know what processed food really means. What is, what is your definition of processed? Okay, so here's a really good example. Um, went to the store the other day because I, I really had the idea in my mind, I wanted some frozen yogurt. I haven't had a frozen yogurt in a long time. It was 90 something degrees out. It's like, wow, this just sounds good. Right. right. So I'm, and yet, even when I when I make up my mind, I'm going to do something that to me feels like um, a binge food. Right. I want to make sure that I get something that's really good because I want to enjoy it. So I'm looking at the different ice creams that are in there and the different gelatos and all these different things. And I see this one that's very and, expensive. It's huge, too. The selection is huge. Yeah. Um, but one that looks very highbrow. It's very expensive. It was like eleven ninety nine for the little quart of it, or the pint, the pint of it, and um, high something, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, wow, this must be really good stuff. And I start looking at the list of ingredients that are on there, and it was substantial. And one of the final ingredients was wheat. And I'm looking at this going, why would you put wheat in ice cream? So it didn't promote it on the front label. Uh, we have gluten. It was, it was kind of buried in the ingredients on the nutrition label. On the nutrition label or the ingredients label. And yeah. it, 
even though that's not, um, I mean, you can have a debate about how processed wheat is. I'm just looking at what is necessary for food. Ice cream is cream and milk and some sugar and blueberry or vanilla, whatever you're going to put in there, right? Yeah. It doesn't need to be super complex. But I just could not get over why would you put wheat in ice cream? So yeah. that's a, that was another example of um, something to me that is highly processed. It's ice cream. So we're talking right now about betrayal and how sometimes uh, the people we think are looking after us are actually not looking after us at all. They're looking after their own best interests. You know, how, we can, how can we sell a lot of this stuff? Let's put some chemicals in it that make it taste good. And we'll worry about the fact that we're feeding people chemicals later. Of course, it's a, the equation is a lot more complicated than that, but that's essentially what's happening here, yeah? Well, and quite frankly, food science is very very complicated. Uh, it's very secret yeah. as well. Food science companies, you want to talk, the, the pharmaceutical industry is one thing, but they have scientists of that caliber and higher in food and flavoring companies. They know what happens from the minute you see something to the mm -hmm. first smell of it, yeah, to right. the mouth feel, to what happens, what it triggers when it's in your mouth, to chemicals that it releases in the brain, things that are feel good. And that's also another challenge with food, quite frankly, good foods, bad foods, great, you know, however you want to classify it, is that it is a multi-sensory experience. Not only do we tie it to emotions and events and experiences, but there's so much that happens in the body when you eat food. Yeah. So it's difficult to pull all that stuff apart. Yeah, so... Um by the way, uh, we should uh, tell everybody our, our backgrounds. Our, I am not a scientist or a doctor. Renee Nor is am I. Not a scientist or a doctor. What's interesting to me about this, this uh, time that we're in now is that there's so much information about, about food and about nutrition. If you just pay attention to uh, the people that know what they're talking about. And the challenge here, I think, Renee, is a lot of people depend on their doctors for advice, professional advice. But to me, doctors aren't in the business of providing education. In fact, they're usually in a hurry to get out the door to the next exam room. You're left to your own devices to Google or to uh, listen to podcasts or to uh, watch uh, Regis and Kathy Lee. I don't know where you get your information, everybody. But this is the best time to find people like Renee who actually know what they're talking about. And they don't have to be doctors to know what they're talking about. So you decide who's giving you advice that works based on, you know, whatever measurement tool you use. But we want you to know, I want you to know that Renee's available to you. Um, back to uh, the fact that we have this in common, Renee, that we're trying to help people change their habits, long-held habits in some cases. We're talking about human nature, psychology, um, again, things that most physicians don't trouble themselves with. Your catchphrase is ditch diets, and find peace with food forever. I like it. You're not a fan of diets. No, no, no. Uh, diets, uh, the way it's uh, the way it's used in in uh, not just our culture but most cultures, tend to signify that there's a beginning and an end. And during that period of time, there's uh, most people feel that there's going to be uh, a deprivation period. Basically, in order to get to here. I'm going to have to deprive myself so that I can get to here. Mm -hmm. 
And here, here's a good example. Um, <laughs> I know someone who, she and her husband do a lot of cruises. And she always diets down to the cruise. But she brings generally two sizes of clothes. Because by the end of the cruise, she knows she's going to have gained a lot of weight because of all the food and stuff that's going on. Oh, wow. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. In my own mind, I question why, why somebody would do that. Why would you diet down to something so that you can then gorge yourself to the point that you actually need another size of clothing? And to me, in my mind, that's not a very healthy relationship with food in general. Yeah. When I work with clients, we don't diet. There may be some things we eliminate for a while mm. because they react to them poorly, because um, it doesn't support the goals that they have, because it impacts their performance, perhaps in a negative way. But the goal isn't to start here and end here. The goal is to create a continuum where the choices and how they eat become something that's a new habit, that is something they can maintain at all times. That doesn't mean that you don't make some changes based on certain things that you want to do. And a good example for that is I've got a big bike ride coming up in a couple of weeks. Now, the way I'm going to eat and train and sleep, actually, between now and that period of time is based on my performance goals. So I'm going to eliminate some things that can make me sluggish, that don't help, that, that impact my sleep, like wine, for example. Wine impacts my sleep. Um, so that I can have a better level of performance. It doesn't mean I'm going to eliminate wine from my lifestyle entirely because I like wine. Mm. So one of the things I really like about your approach is it's a, it's a form of reverse engineering. If, if for example, if you're, if you're looking to find peace with food forever, mm. uh, I, I, other ways to say that, I want to feel good every day. I don't want to struggle with uh, having to be close to a bathroom because I ate something stray uh, at dinner time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I should mention that when we talk and give examples of people who are struggling, it is not to make fun of them. It is not ad hominem, uh, we're, all, uh, we're all in the same game together, everybody. And the game is called life, and it's getting through life. So when Renee talks about somebody who's on a cruise ship that takes two sizes of clothes, I think the bigger and better question is, if you're not happy taking two sizes of clothes on the cruise, let's figure out, let Renee help you figure out how you don't have to take that second set of clothes. Because I'm guessing that's not a badge of honor for you, right? I'm guessing that's something that, that you would like not to have to do. Uh, same thing when we let our, go, take our clothes to the tailor and let them out. Same thing when we notice, oh boy, I can't wear this skirt anymore or these slacks anymore because they're too tight. Uh, it's, it's because of decisions that we made, probably repeatedly, that, that, that put us in this position, right? So again, psychology, habit. Or there's also changes that happen in, in the body, and women struggle with this much more than men do. Yeah. Um, and that's the hormonal cycles. Yeah. So there's the childbearing years. Um, there's getting rid of weight post-child, which, uh, depending on how old you are when this happens, can be more difficult than other times. Um, then there's the premenopause period of time, then there's menopause, and there's post-menopause. I've gone through menopause, and I can tell you that the way I used to eat and train 
is very different from now than what it used to be. And my body went through a lot of struggle with weight gain and storing fat, even in areas that I'd never stored fat before, mm. but it was because there was also hormonal disruption. Mm. So the whole idea of calories in and calories out is so antiquated mm. and not real. It, it, calories matter in terms of gauging how much your body needs for the energy expenditure you have. But if it was just a matter of calories in, calories out, and let's say you eat 1,700 calories a day, well, you could do that in bagels and cream cheese for breakfast. Yeah. You could load up and you wouldn't need anything else for the rest of the day, but you're not going to perform or more than likely have a level of health of somebody who had nutrient-dense meals throughout the day that actually supported their body in a different way. Renee has a website, everybody. It's Eat, Evolve, and Inspire, or is it just, I think it's Eat, Evolve, Inspire, just those three words? Yep, eatevolveinspire.com. And the Facebook actually has a, a, an ampersand, maybe? Nope. Okay, straight through. Eat, Eat Evolve, Evolve, Inspire. Inspire. It's the Facebook group, uh, and it's free. Yeah? People can drop in and get, get some of your good information and, and make some changes in their lives. Oh, yeah. We're always sharing a lot of great recipes. And one of the reasons for doing that is, um, again, to teach people, if we go back to the deprivation idea, eating healthy, number one, does not have to be expensive. And it doesn't mean that you need to deprive yourself. Now, depending on where you're at, um, what your relationship is with food is like, there may be some things that we identify as trigger foods, for example, that put you in a spiral. Of if I have this, I'm going to have this, this, and this, right? Mm -hmm. That we look at how to curb those or modify those or completely replace them so that you don't end up in some form of a spiral. Um, but one thing I want to uh, throw in there about deprivation is to take a look at it in a different way. Now, you may have to get through some things to get to the other side of health if that's what you really want, and you can consider it deprivation. But think about deprivation in another way. What are you actually depriving yourself of by not giving yourself a gift of optimal health? I don't know. I, I, it's, I cannot explain to you. It, it doesn't happen until you experience how different your body feels, how different your brain functions when you're actually nourished and functioning optimally. Mm. It's, it's a completely different, and, and you don't know it until you get there. And yeah. I'll tell you, once you get there, the reason a lot of the clients I work with don't go back to eating foods that don't support them is because once they feel this other way, having felt like crap for so long, they don't want to go back. Yeah. I think it's a bunch of things. I, I, I think it's not just feeling better. It's um, your taste buds. I don't know if it's technically true, scientifically true, but your taste buds change. They I remember do. when I kicked diet soda, uh, I was off of it uh, a few months, whatever, and uh, somebody served it at a party or something, and my, you know, my brain stem, I, I reached for it, and I had a sip, and I'm, oh my God, something's the matter with this can. I better yeah. get another one because this one's bad. Yeah. And it wasn't the can. It was, it was my sensibility had shifted because because I had kicked the, uh, the, the artificial stuff inside. 
Right. But you could actually I, taste it now, where before you couldn't actually taste it because your body had got accustomed to that chemical, yeah. which doesn't mean that it was doing any good in your body. It just yeah. means that your body got accustomed to it. I also didn't like the way I felt after having diet soda. That had shifted. But it, you're right. If you had explained to me how good I would, have, I would feel after I don't have diet soda, I would, I would have just shrugged because it would have meant nothing to me. There was no way for me to fully appreciate that. Um, and yet, you know, what's interesting is um, I'll often use this example when I'm, when I'm talking with clients, and that is alcohol. For people who drink alcohol or who have had alcohol, we've probably all of us who have had alcohol have had experiences of a little too much alcohol. Mm. And we know what we feel like either right then or the morning after where we have a hangover, something that's still impacting us the next day. We don't seem to associate the possibility of that with food. And yes, it's happening to us every single day. Mm. If we're eating crap, you've just gotten used to it. I've heard that alcohol, in a way, is a kind of poison. By the way, full disclosure, I, I love my red wine. Oh, me too. Uh, but <laughs> full disclosure um, aside, alcohol is like a poison because the, the body can't actually use it. it. It's just looking for a way to get rid of it after it, it's consumed. Is that basically correct? True. True. Yeah. It, it technically works as like a poison, and that's why you get altered the way yeah. you do. Yeah. So um, for those of you watching, intrigued, maybe you don't feel good, maybe, um, maybe you're, uh, you've been in a rut, maybe uh, your numbers are off, and by numbers I mean uh, blood tests, how much you weigh, these types of things. I'm going to ask Renee a quick round of questions just to see. They're binary questions, Renee. Yes okay. or no? Okay. Can, can you help me lose weight? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Can you help me increase my energy? Yes. Can you help me live longer? Debatable. Can you help me improve the quality of my life? Yes. Yeah. Because of what you know and the sharing of that information. And as I understand it, the way you work, and I understand how you work pretty well, uh, is that it's not just about imparting the information, but it's a form of uh, handholding or shepherding a person through the process that when you do coaching you do it online and you're with them uh, depending on the schedule once or twice a week for a period of time because mm -hmm. habits take time to change and that when you have someone uh, it's kind of an interesting situation that you have with your clients as I understand it, it you're, you're you're supporting them on this hand and you're holding them accountable on this hand mm -hmm. kind of like a, a combination good cop bad cop uh, yes, without ever making the person feel guilty. The goal in working with clients, especially people who've had histories of, um, I'll say yo-yo dieting, mm. on and off, on and off, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight. And usually what happens is they gain more weight back than they did previously. And there's a lot of studies out there about why that's easier Um to actually gain more weight, especially when you've been depriving yourself and not nourishing your system mm -hmm. in a balanced way. But people need support because predominantly a lot of this yo-yo back and forth, it's not just misinformation, it's the rituals we have around food, it's the emotional ties 
we have with food. And there may be food punishment cycles that we use food in a way to punish ourselves. And we go through guilt and absolution and I'll do better this time. And, and all those things, if we can break those down and it's not difficult to do, but it does take somebody else, in my opinion, really supporting you. Otherwise, all we would need to do is go to Barnes and Noble, buy a diet thing. You can, you can download any diet and grocery list you can imagine on the internet, follow this, but it's not going to work. It's not going to be sustainable if you don't figure out how to bring it into your life as well as attack those things and those habits that are keeping you from having the lifestyle and the health and wellness that you want in your life. I'm thinking about all the diet fads through the years, crazy ones, some of them. Very popular, by the way. And work for a period of time often. Um, the, we're still learning about the body. There is so much that we just don't know. But what we do know for certain is it's not just calories in, calorie out. And it's also not just about willpower mm. because that's not something that last indefinitely either the mm. body needs what the body needs and and part of that is what the emotions need and how that feeds our body so when we can try to separate without um damaging the relationship with food so that we can still enjoy it what we want to do is take away the things that don't support you and replace them with things that support you based on your goals one of the things I like to look at when I'm helping people solve problems uh, is not just what's happening right now, but also what's, I call it what's, what comes next after what comes next. Um, so there's a lot of people out there that are, say, overweight, um, or maybe they've, had, uh, they've tortured their uh, small and lower intestines with a, a poor choice of food regime for a couple of decades. Mm -hmm. um, my and this is just me talking, I'd like to uh, affirmation on this if it's true, if you disagree, that's fine too, that, that, that what's next after what comes next. So if you're overweight and then you're extremely overweight, the next step, next stop is obesity, right? Official well, obesity. You're usually there by the time you're overweight, depending no, I mean, you on be, who you're I, talking to. You could be five or 10 pounds overweight, you're not considered obese. True, yes. But if, true. if that cycle continues long enough, eventually you'll, you'll be clinically obese. And that may, by the way, not be enough to get you going on some sort of self-improvement plan. I'm looking here at trying to help some, really help some people that may be right on the edge, Renee. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we do nothing else today, maybe we can help pull some people back from the ledge. Another example, if I may, because um, food is combined with other things like movement, and exercise. It doesn't have to be exercise, by the way. It could be just movement. But when we eat crappy food and then we don't move, uh, we develop a, uh, an intense level of inflammation in the body. Mm -hmm. Also not a good idea, correct? Yes. And understanding inflammation is really important because there's levels of inflammation in the body that are good for the body. I mean, inflammation is one of the ways our body tells us that something's not right. Right. It, it's how yeah. we it, it's how we counteract sickness. For example, yeah. the body rallies to try and fix itself. Um, the, let's paint a graphic picture about inflammation, because I don't think people understand it. When, when you have a lot of inflammation in your body, how do how do you feel? 
Well, it can show up in a lot of ways. Um, it can trigger arthritis or exacerbate arthritis. Uh, your hair can fall out. You can have difficulty sleeping. You can have difficulty digesting food um, at any level. You can have difficulty with elimination. Um, joint, joint pain as well, correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, is there a test for inflammation or does it just occur? I, I know you can test for arthritis. You can be officially diagnosed with arthritis. Uh, how do we test for inflammation? How do you know, how does somebody know if they have it? Um, well, that's better, better discussed with your doctor, but one of the things that they can test is your homocysteine levels. And they can that's look at, as well as a lot of other markers, and they can kind of see what's going on with your body. Um, one, of, one of the real important areas of human health right now that they're starting to take a very, very deep dive on is gut health and truly understanding how important the microbial system within your body, and that starts at the mouth. People think about gut as the stomach or their intestines, mm. but your gut actually starts at your mouth when you put something in. What it takes for your saliva to break down what's in your mouth as it moves through your esophagus into your stomach. There's different acids and microbes, this entire process all the way through elimination. Right. And it should be a fairly smooth process. Um, but when it's not, and when you're having things like um, indigestion, acid reflux, heartburn, uh, high levels of constipation, it could be that you've had something that really doesn't agree with you, or it could be that your biome is completely out of whack, and that's a result of inflammation. So what else can people expect, uh, and this is not a leading question, although you may think it is, what else can people expect when they stop moving and they're eating bad quality food or the wrong kinds of food for a couple of decades, uh, they're gaining weight, not feeling good, what's the next stop? Well, it's really up to the individual. Um, and I don't say this to, to scare people. Um, I, I look at those things that continue to pile on as a form of cancer. Hmm. It doesn't mean you're going to get cancer, but I look at it as a cancerous growth because it starts to impact every other area of your life. We are beings that are designed to move. Hmm. We're, and that doesn't mean I'm going to be doing when I'm 80 what I was doing when I was 25, but yeah. you can still move. You can still walk. You can still stretch. There's no reason an 80-year-old can't touch their toes, even do forms of yoga. Get out and do some brisk walking. And food but, is related to all this. Well, food is related to all of it, and it's very, very simple to make different choices that support you along the way. I travel for a living. We travel for a living, and my weight never fluctuates more than five to seven pounds. Mm. Even traveling all over, and people often ask me, well, how can, you, how can you stay so healthy, right? How can you keep this up? When I travel, I just eat junk. Honestly, it's a choice. There's plenty of places you go. There are, there are certainly situations that we get into where the meal in front of us is not what we would ideally eat. And you eat around it. Mm -hmm. I'm not in favor 
of eating something because it's put in front of me. Right. And that may sound ungrateful, but I'm not. I wouldn't, I, if fish was put in front of me, shellfish, and I'm allergic to it and there was nothing else, I wouldn't eat it. And I look at my health and my food choices the same way. There are things that I don't eat. There are mm. things I don't eat much of. And I'm at a point in my health and well-being that I would rather go hungry than eat something that doesn't nourish me because it actually does harm me. Choice is an interesting term because a lot of people feel that they need to be presented with a choice. For example, a server at a restaurant would give you a menu that you could look at. You open the menu and you have choices. But I know that at restaurants, you, you see choices within the actual selections because yeah. you customize almost all of your orders. And Which so isn't that difficult. Yeah, yeah. And it's very simple. If there's something on there, a good example is I love Caesar salads. But a lot of Caesar salads have way too much dressing. They're loaded with croutons. Yeah. Um, so I, I always order my Caesar salad with the dressing on the side, and I don't have any croutons on it because I'm not eating. I don't like to take in my calories in form of bread because I get denser, more nutritious calories in other ways, again, that support my goals. I'm not saying don't ever eat bread. Yeah. I don't choose to eat it because I get my calories in other ways. And I have no difficulty modifying. It's just about how you present it. Yeah. I'm not trying to make a big deal about it. And well, there's virtually no place right now, just about anywhere you go, you can pull up a Yelp app in the U.S. I know that we even had Yelp in Thailand. Um, or you can look up a restaurant menu on the Internet and download and see what's there. If you're concerned about where you're going and whether or not you can eat in a way that supports what you want to feel, look at the menu. Make up your mind before you go. Take yeah. away the what if of, oh my gosh, I'm not, gonna, I'm not sure what I'm going to have. So that if you're somebody who is struggling to stay on track or is trying to stay on track, get that set up ahead of time. Yep, I'm going to go here and I'm going to have the hamburger and they can wrap it in lettuce and instead of the fries, I'm going to have this, this, and this. Yeah. It goes with it and those make the, up your mind before you go. Those are those hidden choices that I was referencing earlier that, that uh, nowhere on the menu does it say you can have the hamburger without the bun. And nowhere on the menu does it say that you can have them keep the potato and give you double veg. And nowhere on the menu does it say you have to eat the bun. <laughs> That's right. But, but, but there are a lot of people who, if they get the bun, they're going to, oh, they're going to eat it. Yeah. And I'm a, a, of a certain age, I think a lot of people are, that we were told to eat everything on our plate. Mm -hmm. We were also told no substitutions. It was on the menu. If you asked, keep the potato, give me double veg, no substitutions. You, you have to bring the potato and, and, the, and the vegetable medley, whatever the hell that is. So again, this, uh, this, this interesting confluence of psychology and habit and, uh, and uh, working against ourselves, the, the deprivation concept versus the reward concept, mm -hmm. the choice versus a victim, right? Mm -hmm. All this is at play. It's a heady little stew here that, that we're looking at. Again, for the people that are on the edge that are looking for help, Renee is at Eat, Evolve, Inspire, Dot com, and you should get in that Facebook group right away so that you can get some support on this. Uh, I'm also of a certain age where 
uh, Renee, if you went to the doctor after uh, a period of time and in, in, in a combination of bad luck or perhaps bad habits, that you would, the doctor would say to you, uh, I'm sorry to inform you that you have cancer. And I remember, I remember vividly hearing the phrase pre-cancer, which they often use now in diagnoses, that, especially in things like uh, colonoscopies and that sort of thing. They say, well, we found something that might be, and, then, and then sometimes it's not definite pre-cancer, it's possibly pre-cancerous, right? I also hear this word a lot, pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the other thing that's at the end of this slippery slope, you know, overweight, not moving, not looking after yourself, not really paying attention to the choices that you're making. And pretty soon you're pre-diabetic. And I don't know the statistics of what happens to people once they are announced as pre-diabetic, but man, you do not want to make that last step. That is when your life changes in ways that are sometimes irreversible. Yeah. Sometimes irreversible. Um, Often uh, you have the ability to impact it. One of the things that's come out of um, the field of behavioral economics is, which is a field of looking at how we make decisions, why we make decisions. Uh, There's the pleasure pain theory. Um, uh, There's willpower. All you need is willpower to get through stuff. And what they're finding is there's a whole lot of reasons why people don't make choices in their own best interest. Yeah. And fear, uh, you have a heart attack. There's a lot of people who've had heart incidents or are pre-diabetic or already told they're they're type 2 diabetic, right? Different from type 1 diabetes. Um, But there's not enough fear there, or I'm sorry, you've just had a heart incident. So you're like, Oh my God, that scared me. I got a new lease on life. I'm going to clean things up. I'm not going to do this, 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 and this anymore. And that lasts for about five months, six months. And then you slowly start to bring back in these other things. I'm feeling better now. I'm feeling better now. Maybe it's okay. And you start to test the water and the, the, the unfortunate part of that is that if you were just given more tools, if you had somebody working with you to help you learn how to make choices that supported you for the rest of your life without depriving you or making you feel deprived that actually nourished your body, these problems wouldn't be there. Yeah, and we know too that when people make these kinds of personal changes, if, if you're in a domestic situation where you're living with other people, you often help them as well mm-hmm. because they, if they're not eating right, there's a good, if you're not eating right, there's a good chance that people in your household aren't eating right. And then everybody starts to feel better. Everyone in the household becomes a little bit healthier. There's we- also one of the challenges I think many people have is, um, and this gets back to the deprivation idea again, that, oh, my partner, my husband, my wife wouldn't want to eat the way I eat, and I don't want to deprive them of the things that they like eating. And I find that fascinating. It's an interesting way Uh, to say it, isn't it? It is, because who's depriving who? Are you depriving yourself of feeling the best you could possibly feel? 
And if you make a decision that you're going to eat in a way that supports the way you want to feel, is it necessary that everybody in your house eat the same way? Would they just come along naturally? Do you need to force it on them? Um, those, are, those are personal decisions, but it's also part of the struggle that a lot of people have um, eating a, a certain way for a long period of time. Again, and there's an emotional connection, I'm depriving them of something that they really enjoy versus maybe they're depriving themselves of a level of optimal health that they've just never felt. There was a, um, gosh, I think it was a week ago, and I just, I just laughed at this. So Gerber baby food, not to knock any certain type of baby food, but there are better choices and there are worse choices. There are baby foods that are made with high fructose corn syrup, and so you start feeding that to your baby as soon as they're born and what that does to their chemistry. And, uh, but they have a new cheese puff. Excuse me, you're saying that high fructose corn syrup is not good for you? No. It okay. hasn't proven to be good for us in any way, shape, or form Okay. at this point in time. And there's a lot of documentation behind that. Um, but now there's a new um, uh, cheese puff. They've, there's a whole new snack line that just came out for babies who are just starting to eat in very cute little packaging and everything. It's very appealing visually. And I was just looking at it going, oh my gosh. So let's start getting them on cheese puffs and junk even earlier, but it's this cute little packaging. And, and there's a thought I think that people have of, oh, it's just, I'm gonna treat somebody to this. Mm. But if, if somebody that you wanted to treat again, allergic to chocolate, allergic to strawberries, allergic to shellfish, would you treat them to something that's damaging to them? But we don't tend to look at a lot of foods and food additives in that way because we just don't understand it. And the marketing's very good. So we've covered a lot of ground, man. Uh, and if you're not, uh, if you haven't been following at home, we've been talking about words like choice and treat and deprive and none of them think, you know, are defined the way you think they are, that a treat may not be good for you. A choice doesn't have to be presented. It's sometimes something that you initiate from whole cloth, just from, just from uh, a new regime that you're on. And the treat is not often as good as it sounds. Renee, uh, you are one of the most knowledgeable, knowledgeable people about this that I know. Uh, and again, even without a, uh, a medical degree, you are fantastic. You're helping a lot of people. I am privy to some of the success stories that you've received from clients who have been in your Eat, Evolve, Inspire coaching program. And uh, I just want to encourage you to keep up the good work. If you're watching today, I'd like you to, I'm encouraging you to contact Renee so that you can get with the program, man. Uh, we're living longer now and we want quality of life and it doesn't have to be bad quality of life. And, and, and you're going to have to learn more about your bodies and learn more about yourself so that you can make good choices and, and do the right thing. And I'm delighted to help anybody You're, I do a free one hour consultation. <clears throat> uh, you can go to my website, eatevolveinspire.com and look for breakthrough call. And I'm happy to do a one-hour free consultation to help you look at kind of what's going on with your life, what's going on with your food and your habits, and if there's some way that we can improve upon it, and if my coaching program is right for you. 
Fantastic, Renee. Keep up the good work and thanks for everything. Thank you so much.